so good to see everybody here today uh, for our grand opening. We had our soft opening last week, and then we're here today. It's a great crowd. And before I get started, I want to just um, introduce a couple of people. We have some, uh, I don't want to call them dignitaries because they'll get a big head. We got a little ring in there. You guys can hear it. Um, we have Dr. David Sutton is here with you. Thank you, brother, for being with us. Thank you. You know, nobody told you to stand up, okay? Just stay in your seat. <laughs> Brian Yost. Brian Yost is my pastor. For those of you who don't know, Brian Yost is my pastor and one of the overseers of our church here. If there's ever a problem with me, the church goes to Brian and he handles it, right? Kind of like the mafia. It's like the church <laughs> mafia. And I, I affectionately call Brian the Bishop of Sarasota because he ministers to all the pastors all the time. My parents are here from South Carolina, so. <clears throat> and there's a lot of other people here. Uh, one more I want to recognize. I don't know if you guys know this, but for the last eight years at Nightlife and the last six years for Grace Life, Mark Riley from Rico's Pizza has given us basically pizza for like 38 cents a pie. And he's here today with his wife, Julie. Thank you so much. All right. And I'm just going to go through a short list of people. There's a lot of people that have put a lot of time and energy in getting the building ready. Um, Mike Bassett's been here every day, pretty much. Steve Lenz. Uh, if you guys had saw what this place was before we started, David Cooper came in and just did an incredible job demolishing all that stuff. Incredible. And the Grace Life Shepherd team has been here with Cian and Amy and just everyone. This has been incredible. And then there's other churches, Southside Baptist Church, South Shore, Grace Community Church, so many other churches that have come, come aside and helped us. And Decades Rewind, donating these lights. You did hear that, Peter Gotti. I know you're watching from Massachusetts. You are donating these. These are not coming back. They're staying here. All right. So as we celebrate our grand opening here at Grace Life, the official opening of our doors on Lockwood Ridge to this community. It is a special day for our young little church. We're so glad for everyone that's here. But what does the phrase grand opening actually mean? What exactly is it are we, ex are we celebrating as a church? Yes, we, we celebrate the accomplishment, right? And so we're excited, but, but it has to be more than that. It is, after all, just a building and I can promise you it's going to break. It already has started to. So, you know, we know that's going to happen. Because we don't really celebrate a grand opening as Christians. We don't celebrate brick and mortar like others might. We are celebrating a new door to ministry that Jesus has opened for Grace Life. Future opportunities to be a lampstand for the truth, to preach the gospel, which we know is the power of God for salvation. That's the grand opening that we celebrate. And it's what's on the other side of that door that Jesus is opening for us. His mercy, his grace, his majesty, and his glory. And that is actually the topic we're going to be studying in our series on the book of Revelation over the next few weeks as we start with chapter 4, starting with today's passage. And I just want you to know that this passage, as we read it, it should be read and considered an epilogue or, or something after the letters to the seven churches that we just spent seven weeks studying. And this is something that every church at some point, Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, every church should read it together in community like we're going to today. We're going to start off with Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
The first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. <clears throat> All right, let's close in prayer. Let's sit down and pray. <laughs> you know, there's some fascinating history in this passage. First of all, I want you to see, he starts off by saying, after this. Some believe that this passage, along with most of Revelation, are to be read as future prophecy, something that is yet to happen. And I believe when you approach Revelation with that biased mindset, it robs you of the incredible inspiration, devotional encouragement that this passage and all the rest of the book is designed to be for all the churches. In fact, this passage, as most of Revelation, is really a perspective on the whole history of the drama of redemption, the past, the present, and the future. It is a door, if you'll allow me to think this way, it is a door into a higher dimension, a spiritual dimension, just as real as the dimension that we are living in right now here today. And it's much more than just simple prophecy or future telling. It is, in fact, already, it is, in fact, right now, and it is, in fact, yet to come. But it is all those things all at once. When John says, after this, he's actually referring to the seven letters that he has just written to the churches from Jesus. And although John wrote those seven letters nearly 1,900 years ago, as we've gone through them the last seven weeks, you guys have seen that the concepts Jesus put in those letters transcend time and they apply to us today. In the last seven weeks, we studied the issues that those churches were having. But we also studied the promises that Jesus made to those who are faithful to overcome. You know what Jesus was doing with those letters? This is so important for you to understand before we study chapter 4. He was preparing the churches for what they would hear next. He was preparing them for how to understand it, how to interpret it. It was, if you will, sort of like an orientation to the throne room. And this passage was designed to be read right after those seven churches' letters. Most of what we read today is actually contained in those letters. So I want to talk about the idea. Have you ever seen somebody um, somewhere they scribbled on a wall to indicate they had been there, right? <laughs> and then others would follow, well, I was here too. You guys ever seen that, right? Well, that's what we actually have in this passage. John is the fourth person in the Bible to experience this place, this, this heavenly throne room. And look, I don't have time to read all of them completely, the other three. But if you read them for yourself, read into this assignment, okay? You will notice something. Each one provides more details than the previous one. With John having the most details of all, this is actually a critical clue for how we're going to continue to read Revelation because it keeps drilling down and deeper and deeper into the drama of redemption, giving you new details. That's what happens with this fourth 
vision of the throne room of heaven. And this structure teaches us this is all in an epic story, the progress of redemption throughout human history. And each section of Revelation will go into deeper details within another dimension that John has entered through this door that Jesus has opened for him into heaven. You know, the first person to see this throne room in action was Moses in Exodus on the mountain where God gave him the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 19, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders, lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast of all the people in the camp tremble. Doesn't that sound like Revelation? The second one to experience this throne room was Isaiah when he recounted the story of God calling him and commissioning him to be a prophet. It starts in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, which means king, and the year that the earthly king died, I saw the heavenly king, is really what it's saying, sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. And if you read on, you'll see a lot of similar descriptions. And then the third person who had seen the throne room before John was Ezekiel. When he was a prophet to Israel, when all of Israel were slaves during the Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel 1.1 is beautiful. In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by, Chabar, by the Chaber Canal, the heavens were opened up and I saw visions of God. And Ezekiel describes great details in two sections in his book. You could go and listen and read those. See, what this history does, this is important for you to understand before we get into our Revelation passage. This history informs us this isn't something far off that hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. This is something, in fact, that has always been, that currently is, and always will be. More on this later. Look at the theology of this passage. What about God? What is he doing and why and how does he do it? This is, in fact, this throne room that John is describing is a room full of promises. Chapter, chapter 4 that we're starting today has this foundation based upon the promises that Jesus gave to the faithful churches in chapters 1 through 3. And if it gets confusing, you can go back and catch up on some of those sermons that we just went through. And as John describes what he sees in the throne room, the promises in the seven letters become, this is amazing now, those promises become an undeniable central theme to what John sees. The first thing that he describes is this open door. Some of you remember this, don't you? It's the first link to the seven letters, the door that Jesus spoke about to the church in Philadelphia. Do you remember it? He said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have little power, Yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. If you remember, we discussed that open door and how it was a reference back to Isaiah, prophecy in Isaiah. I will place on his shoulders the key to the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. This was Jesus promising to give the faithful the key to open this door to heaven. And what is this key and where does this door lead? This is beautiful. The key to the door is the preaching of the gospel. A powerful privilege and responsibility for the church. And then we see on the throne what's happening. He describes what's on the throne. John says the same voice that was the trumpet that he heard in chapter 1 says, Come with me. Come see what's happening after you've written these letters. And suddenly the scripture says John is in the spirit. Meaning that his body is still in the prison cell. But his conscience is in another dimension with Jesus. 
And he describes the brilliance of the one on the throne like precious clear stones surrounded by a rainbow. Okay, this is your first critical clue. Can you remember any other time when God used a rainbow to comfort someone? Do you know what he was reminding them of? This is another Old Testament link. Remember, there's hundreds of them in the book of Revelation. Genesis 9, look at this. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me. What does covenant mean? Promise. This is the promise that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Question, what do you think came first? The rainbow that... Noah saw or God's bow around the throne of heaven. See, this rainbow around the throne is important for us because it is a clue that what John is saying is this king on the throne is a promise keeper. The rainbow around the throne describes the nature of our Jesus as covenant keeper and promise keeper. A rainbow, the result of light. Even on earth, you think of it, a rainbow is a refraction of light, and it's active, and it moves. You can see it, but you could never arrive at it. You can't touch it. Isn't that a great picture of what heaven is for us right now? It's another dimension. We can sense it sometimes, but it's not yet. This is another example of hundreds of examples that you cannot read the book of Revelation. Don't even try without your Old Testament open right next to it. And look what he says, what's going on around the throne. This is beautiful. Surrounding the throne are these 24 smaller thrones, right? With the 24 elders seated in white robes. This is another promise kept by the promise keeper with the bow around him. And this too was already. This too, this promise is right now. And it is as well, not yet. Watch this. Remember his letter to Sardis, what Jesus said? He said, I will replace the soiled garments of the faithful with white robes. The elders in the white robes are on smaller thrones, and they, in fact, here's another promise, are ruling with God. Another promise kept from Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. To him who overcometh, will, he will sit with me in my throne, and they will rule the nations. And in Revelation 21, later on, we'll discover this in our series, probably in 2027. <clears throat> It's going to take a while. We will get more details that these 24 elders, each one represents one of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. These smaller thrones with people clothed in white represent all of God's chosen children, past, present, and future. Again, already, right now, and not yet. And everyone throughout human history with ears to hear the voice of the great shepherd and follow him, are represented by these 24 thrones. See how important his throne room bow around him, the rainbow is? It declares God is a promise keeper. He is in charge. More on this even next week. Then we have this timeless thunder, which is pretty amazing. We see the Holy Spirit is represented once again, just like we saw in chapter 1, the seven spirits. But now we get more details. It's the Holy Spirit of God that's causing the lightning and the thunder around the throne that Moses experienced on Mount Sinai. More evidence this place is already, is right now, and not yet. It's the same throne that was seen by Ezekiel, by Isaiah, and by Moses. But notice only John's visit has the details of the white robes. 
the 24 thrones with the elders, the promises in those previous seven letters. The white robes are ruling and reigning, and it's all connected by the presence of the rainbow, the promise keeper. And here's the clincher of how you know for a fact that this is to be read as already, right now, and not yet. And this is a preview of next week's incredible passage. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was already and is right now and is to come, not yet. Isn't that beautiful? Let's look at the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this incredible view? This was my sermon preview this week I put on a social media. I said the greatest grand opening celebration is the door to heaven opened by Jesus through his church. You know, it really is kind of a mystery, isn't it? What's on the other side of these doors to heaven And it's really a mystery that nobody can resist thinking about. Everyone would love to open that door, but only the church of Jesus has been given and promised and entrusted with the keys. With showing the world what's behind the door, this glorious mystery. And you know, it's it's for some reason as Christians, and I'm not sure why, well, I think I know why, we don't really reflect on the throne of God too much. We're very busy people. I understand why. It's hard, right? It seems like the throne is so much in the distance in this world around us. It's hard for us to get our minds to think outside of the dimension of time and sequence and chronology. We are actually, in fact, all of us, whether you like it or not, literally prisoners of the moment. But this is an open door to a different dimension that every person even if they hate God, knows they would love to go through. It's a timeless place of goodness and majesty and glory and grace and most importantly, promises kept. It's the natural hope of every human heart. This already, right now, and not yet seen that John saw through this open door is the core of what should be inspiring Jesus' church. Not buildings, not programs, not technology, none of that. All that's great, but really in the end, it's about the throne room, this room full of promises. Because I will tell you, we are hopeless without the throne. Without this throne room, I want you to see something. Without this throne room, there is no reason for us to even be a church. You understand, without the throne room, this room full of promises, all of this is a complete, embarrassing, colossal waste of time and money. Without this throne room, there is no reason for us to celebrate a grand opening of some building. I mean, what's the point? Without this throne room, Christians are the most ridiculous of people. Gathering on Sunday, singing to an ancient dead rabbi. Without this throne room, we have nothing to aspire to. We have no purpose. We have no reason to desire redemption or receive mercy and grace. 
Without this throne room, there is nothing but hopeless obsession with all the broken promises in this world. Promises made by kings and presidents and prime ministers and different economic systems and our obsession, this is important, it is our obsession that we try to remain connected to whoever might hold victory or power in that moment. How futile. Without this throne room, there is no reason for us to wait for the glorious return of Jesus with all authority to set things right. But my family, there is a throne room that was already, is right now, but not yet. And that's what we celebrate today with our grand opening. Because there is a throne room, we don't need to put our hope in earthly kings, governments, or economic systems. Because there is a throne room, we know all things work together for good to those whom he has called according to his purpose. Because there is a throne room, we have a higher purpose than victory in this life by living with expectation of the next. Because there is a throne room, we know through the gospel, Jesus makes us, little old grace life, an open door to heaven on Lockwood Ridge. <clears throat> it was, it is, and it is to come. And Jesus has made his church the only portal to it through our preaching of the gospel. And if you don't preach the gospel... You are a closed door. I mean, why do you think Jesus said this repeatedly? Now, now I'm going to start linking this together for you. Why do you think Jesus said probably two dozen times the kingdom of heaven is now? What did he mean by that? He's talking about a different dimension. A dimension that is peering into our existence as we speak in this room. Heaven is not in the skies. Heaven is not in the future. It is right here. It is right now. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 18. <clears throat> Truly I say to you, whatever you close on earth shall be closed or bound in heaven. Doesn't that sound familiar? Whatever you open on earth shall be opened in heaven. Doesn't that sound familiar? Remember that from one of the letters. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, through John's revelation of Jesus in chapter 4, can you begin to see a little clearly what Jesus was talking about here? The best place to find the open door into the already, right now and not yet, is when his church gathers in community. Don't tell me otherwise. This is the best place to find the open door. For a while, we gathered at McCurdy's. We were an open door in a bar. Imagine that. <laughs> but now we're here on Lockwood Ridge. Through this open door on Lockwood Ridge, we will, through the gospel, show people... That heaven may seem like it's far away, but it is definitely right now. 
Now look, of course, the doors to this building aren't doors to heaven. And thank goodness, because we all can see they need quite a bit of work. <laughs> of course, heaven is not this room, but those whom God has trusted with the keys do gather here in this room in community to celebrate it, do we not? That's why Grace Life, although we meet in this building, never has been, and even now never will be defined by a building. And you can feel it. If, if you're a child of God, you can actually feel it happen right now at this moment, can't you? As a community of believers, that we begin to feel and sense that, that right now part of the throne room. Look, I'm just going to tell you. I cannot imagine why any follower of Jesus would want to put anything before the gathering. They didn't have to. This is where we experience the right now. Where two or three are gathered. There I am. I can't imagine how anything out there could be more important than this door to the already, the right now, and the not yet. The already right now and not yet throne room is the only reason we sacrifice our time, our talent, and our treasure here on Lockwood Ridge. And the six-year journey for Grace Life has not always been easy. If you'd have told me two years ago our biggest problem would be parking spaces one day, I'd say you're nuts. <laughs> but here we are, a door to the kingdom of heaven, now. Grace Life along with other faithful, precious churches in our city are an open door into heaven for this hurting world. Grace Life, along with those other faithful churches, is all part of God's plan to open the door to heaven for those whom God brings to us who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, We are honored yet overwhelmed by the privilege of being holders of the keys to the door to heaven. You've given us the power of your spirit. You have clothed us in white robes. You've given us authority in the kingdom of heaven that is now. Lord, I pray that you would keep us faithful so that we can be those who overcome. So that we can take this message of hope and glory and redemption about the kingdom of heaven that already is and not yet to those who need to just experience a moment of it. Father, I pray for the future of our church here in this location. We're thankful for this facility and this location. But Lord, may it never become more important than the open door to heaven through the gospel of Jesus as we preach it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you so much. It's good to see you guys today. Uh, before you go, one more thing. Put your name on that seat for next week so everybody reserve for your seat, okay? Thank you guys. Have a great week.